Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. And if you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Everybody, welcome in. I've got a good friend of mine, Tyler Zander, here with me, um, who's got a pretty amazing story that we're going to talk about. So I'm really excited for you guys to get a chance to hear his story. Um, He's been a great friend, a great encouragement to me, and uh, I know he will be to you too. So thanks for being on the show. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So just give us a little background about yourself. Where did you grow up? Um, And... How did you get to where you are now? Okay. So I was born and raised in like Northwest Oklahoma. Uh, all my family's like come, uh, from around the Enid area. Mm-hmm. So growing up, I at a pretty early age decided that I wanted to become a surgeon for whatever reason. I thought that'd be like the coolest job in the world and yeah. seemed like something that was challenging and meaningful. So through middle school and high school, that was kind of the plan for my life. Uh, I... Uh, growing up also loved sports basketball was kind of my life uh, so I, that's one thing we've kind of had in common yeah along the way yeah uh, so going into high school I pretty much had my life planned out and I thought I had complete control over my life and really everything up to that point had gone the way that I wanted it to go uh, I've been blessed with an amazing family and uh, school came easy to me I had great friends and then obviously, as you know, all of that changed uh, rather quickly mm-hmm. uh, on the morning of August 4th, 2011. Uh, that, that summer, I, had, I was working in a grain elevator in like a small town just north of Eden. And it was the day before my last day of work before I was to start uh, my senior year of high school. And my job that morning was to move grain from like this big metal building to the tall uh, grain elevators. And to do so, we had to use something called a grain auger, which is just like a big metal corkscrew that spins and moves grain. Mm. And it's on the ground, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's just like right underneath the ground, and it's just kind of sat in a trough, and there was boards that was covering it. Yeah. And a few few hours into our day, I was shoveling grain in one of those small openings over the auger, and uh, one of the coworkers that I was working with, he stepped on one of the boards, the board must have broke, took his leg in, and I uh, remember turning around and hearing his scream, and it took me kind of a second to process what was going on, and then I turned around, I hollered at the other guy, he was in the building, and when I turned back around towards the auger, the only thought that went through my mind was, I can't just stand here, mm-hmm. so I just instinctively ran to him, and I remember reaching out to him. And then the next thing I knew, my mind went blank and I uh, braced myself on the concrete floor as the auger started to pull both of us further in. And in that moment, I just remember thinking that, you know, I I had to keep myself out of it as much as possible. And I was holding myself up on the concrete as the auger was just spinning and pulling us further and further in. And the other guy, he ran outside the building and uh, the shutoff switch was outside and on the opposite end. And so when he shut off the auger, I, I panicked. I was, you know, screaming. I was trying to pull myself out, uh, but I wouldn't budge. My coworker was like partly laying on top of me. 
and I uh, was struggling to breathe just because of that. And uh, the first, the first few seconds, I um, I was terrified. Uh, I kind of instantly regret. I kind of instantly regretted uh, what I did. And rescue at that point, rescue workers started to show up, and uh, nobody really knew what to do. Uh, you know, it's it's a Tuesday morning and rural Oklahoma, nobody's mm-hmm. ever experienced anything like this. You know, it's like a bunch of volunteer fire departments that showed up. And, uh, at that point I, my demeanor kind of shifted. I accepted the fact that I was going to die, but I wasn't afraid. And that was a huge turning point for my life because there have been many moments where I wondered whether God was real and uh, I think where I doubted whether God was real, which um, that was, I kind of, at the age of 13, I <clears throat> I was baptized, but I think uh, I really don't know if it made a significant change in my life mm-hmm. up until that point. Uh, but that morning, there wasn't a doubt in my mind where I was going to go, and I was at peace with dying, and it was probably the most peaceful and meaningful moment of my life and uh it's a moment that i look look back on often and really it's kind of a a huge foundation of my faith today Mm. uh i told my parents that i love them and uh just to trust god because i didn't think that i was going to make it out that they'd have to go on without me told my dad to uh, promised me that he'd see to it that my little brother was was baptized, and I think that was what was the most interesting thing to me at that moment was uh, I was worried about things I never worried about before. You know, I was worried about the people that I loved making it to heaven with me, and you know, at seventeen years old, that's nothing you ever really worry about. You know, you're yeah. worried about girls or basketball or you know any like all the other things, cars. Yeah. Uh, so that was. I think I grew up a lot in that hour and 20 minutes and kind of realized what truly was important and where my focus needed to be. Mm. Uh, but during that time, rescue workers were still struggling to free us. They uh, had to cut the auger on each end of us and they brought in a truck that had like a crane on it to lift the auger out. But initially when they lifted it, it just bent and they realized that like where we were stuck at was where the auger was attached to the trough. Mm. Uh, so finally they were able to move us around, unhook the auger from the trough and eventually cut all of it out and lift all of us out. And at that point I lost consciousness. Uh, I regained it as they pushed me outside. And I just remember looking up and seeing the sun and seeing the helicopters and they loaded me up in the helicopter and I told the flight paramedic to put me to sleep and to tell my family that I love them and helicopter lifted up, turned, and that was the last thing that I remembered. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. I feel like we've had this conversation quite a bit, or not a ton, but enough in college being roommates. And um, every time I hear it, it's just, it's still pretty amazing that um, what you've gone through. And I just think, um, I didn't tell you this when we were talking earlier, but we had a, a meeting with some friends a couple of days ago and we were talking about the idea of sacrifice. And, um, like when I thought about examples of that, you know, we think about our parents sacrificing for us to get to college or, um, things you have to do to step in and sacrifice for people. But you literally like 
stepped in when someone was in need and you stepped in to help them and, and, you know, you had a sacrifice. So I just think, um, what you've done, um, to do that in the moment, we'd like to think that we would do the same thing, but I don't know that you truly know that until you're in the moment and you've done that and you tried to help somebody through that process. Um, and when you saw that happening, you briefly touched on it. Like what we've talked about before, what were the things like when you see that, what was, how, how did the reaction go? You just, do you think about something before? Do you just step in and go? Uh, I mean, everything just happened so quick that, you know, looking back now, uh, and I look back on, you know, on that morning or specifically on those few seconds a lot, especially, you know, in the first year afterwards. Mm. And I, uh, like I said, I, I kind of initially regretted it and wondered why I did it because, you know, looking back now, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, I didn't know where the shutoff switch was at, but at the same time, I didn't necessarily know how to react in that instance. I wasn't primed. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't been trained. If, you know, something like that happens, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And I think that for me, that just showed the importance of, um, of training and of rehearsal for specifically any sort of situation, but especially something like that that happens so quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really don't have the time to react. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the only thing that I specifically remember thinking is that I can't just stand here, mm-hmm. but I didn't know what to do. And, you know, it was almost kind of like, I just, I like just took me there and I don't even really think my mind was completely there. You know, everything just, nice. it just happened so fast. Yeah. You know, I don't think you ever really know, you know, looking back, would I react the same way? I don't know, probably not in a sense because, you know, you know, like if you, uh, if you're afraid of pain and fear and danger like that, uh, you know, it's kind of like touching the hot stove once. I don't know if you do it again, but, uh, it's, it's definitely hard to know. Um, I think how, how you would ever react in any sort of situation like that. And I think Mm -hmm. it was just, it was just the instinct and I don't think I was really primed to do it in any other way. But instinctively you were just automatically thinking to help. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of one of those things where you feel like you got to do something you don't necessarily know what. Yeah. You just run and reach out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So you, you, you just got on the uh, helicopter, you're unconscious. Um, and where did you go next on the helicopter? So they flew us to OU medical center. Uh, and my parents, uh, came down to Oklahoma city. They actually had the police drove them down here. Uh, so they could get down here quicker. And when they got here, they knew uh, something bad was wrong whenever uh, my coworker came out of surgery a lot sooner than I did. Mm-hmm. And they were in the operating room with me a lot longer. Uh, eventually, my trauma surgeon came out and told my parents that I probably wouldn't make it through the night. I had the worst open pelvic fracture he'd ever seen. So what that means is when the auger pulled me in, it just like split me in half like a wishbone. Uh, I had my amputation. There was nothing left in my leg from the knee down at the scene. Uh, I had a tear in my bladder. So the first, for about two and a half weeks or so, my survival was up in the air. I uh, developed four infections. They had just had to keep continue to amputate higher and higher. And Eventually, they thought they were going to have to amputate my left leg just because they couldn't find the source of the infection. Uh, eventually, they removed my femur. And at that point, that's kind of whenever I started to recover. And 
I was eventually transferred out of the ICU and spent probably about another month and a half in the hospital after that. Mm. Um, but yeah, my hospital stay was, uh, it was, I mean, it was hell. It was every day. It was kind of unknown. I didn't know what, you know, I was going into the operating room, you know, at some points every other day for washouts and skin grafts and, um, you know, further amputations. So it was, um, it was a struggle. The one thing that kind of, I guess, kept me going was, of course, my family, like they were by my bed, you know, day and night, like they were always there. And I can't imagine how uh, patients in the hospital stay there by themselves because I could have never done it without my family. And then the other thing was uh, somebody had wrote on it or uh, they had wrote on a piece of paper, uh, Joshua 1, 9, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I looked at that verse every single day. It was like right across from my bed. And, uh, I mean, I, there was days where I was in constant pain and, you know, the pain medicine wasn't helping. It wasn't enough. And, uh, that, that verse definitely, uh, pushed me through and, uh, it was something that I really carried, carried with me whenever I got home. Cause really that's as bad as the hospital was get going home and trying to adjust to my life. My new life was definitely more difficult than the hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So whenever you kind of came to, did you get to understand what was going on and, and this significance and the severity of the injury or what was that like? So I, it's, it's kind of hard to remember, you know, what my, what was my first memory in the hospital and you yeah. know, a lot of things are just so hazy, but I, uh, I specifically remember I, I asked one of our family friends, who's actually a doctor, how much of my leg I had left. And, you know, he told me, he's like, oh, you know, a few inches. And I, I honestly didn't believe him. I don't know why. I had no reason not to believe him, but I didn't believe him. I was like, that can't be, that can't be the case. Like, yeah. that's awful. Yeah. Uh, but it, I, I don't think I had really realized the significance of it because when you're in the hospital, it's like people, you know, you press the nurse button and then they come and get you everything. It's not really until you get home and realize that like your daily routines are different. Like you're no yeah. longer independent. So mm-hmm. the hospital kind of mask, it masked a lot of that. I felt like, mm-hmm. so it wasn't until I got home and saw like, you know, I can't, I can't go on runs anymore. Like I'm not going to be able to play basketball. I'm sitting on the sidelines in a wheelchair, you know, mm-hmm. for my senior season. So that was whenever I re- when it re- really sank in was yeah. after I got home. Yeah. And before we get to there, um, I know you've told me and shared the story about, I think one of the coolest things about your story is when you go through this experience and, and um, it's so severe and it's so significant. Um, whenever you're in the hospital, you had a couple of things happen with in the way your bone grew. Like, I yeah. think that is something to talk about too. Um, can you share a little bit about what happened there and, and how um, that was kind of, you know, miracle in itself yeah, yeah. in some ways. So, uh, like I said, they had to remove my femur mm-hmm. uh, just because of the infection. So it technically made me a hip disarticulation amputee, which uh, usually that means it's you also have to have a hip joint as well as a knee joint for a prosthetic, and it's just mm-hmm. more difficult to walk, more difficult to get fit, not as comfortable. Uh, my orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Ertl, he le- essentially left that part of my leg uh in hopes that, you know, one day I would be able to utilize it with a prosthetic. Mm-hmm. And uh, this ossification formed, uh, they call it HO for short. Typically, it's a bad thing uh, because, like, this bone can 
form uh, specifically after trauma and you know usually it grows places you don't want it to grow but in my case it essentially formed in such a way that uh, my prosthesis was able to utilize that as if it was my femur so I was able to get fit with a prosthetic uh, much easier and I can walk uh, better than I would have ever been able to had things not played out the way that they did so I'm kind of definitely a hybrid case and it took a lot out of the box thinking both on my surgeon's part as well as my prosthetist part to get me fit and uh, to be able to walk again. But really the whole the whole prosthetic and even being able to wear one comfortably was uh, definitely a miracle. Um, they told me originally I never walk again without crutches and that I had like a 5% chance of even getting fit with a prosthetic. So uh, obviously that was huge for me being able to continue to go on and mm -hmm. uh still be able to be a surgeon you know it's, yeah. it's a crucial aspect so yeah yeah which is a point that i want to make sure we remember as we as we move forward but just think about those statistics and how tough um the situation might have, have felt at the time um being able to move through that so then um you basically you've gone through the hospital and you get home like you're talking about and you say that was one of the toughest parts of the whole process or what was that like yeah so when i got home uh, there was definitely that that why me, you know. I think I think anybody that goes through something tragic has that thought. Like, why would why would God allow something like this to happen to me? Mm -hmm. um, I I don't know if I would say I was I was angry at God, but I was definitely confused with God. Um, and I, I I knew early on that I would eventually have to get to the point where I could say if I could go back and stop all this from happening. I wouldn't because I've, you know, gained so much more from it mm -hmm. than what was taken away from me. But uh, early on, I just, I honestly didn't know if that was possible. Like I didn't know if it was ever possible to get to the point where I could accept it to that degree. Yeah. And it was, it was a process, you know, it definitely wasn't one defining moment where one day I woke up and I no longer, you know, had bad days or, str or struggles. Uh, but I'd say over the course of, a year, I slowly started to realize that um, it was my choice as to how I was going to respond to this, mm -hmm. and um, I could either be bitter about it, and I could blame people about it, and I could blame God about it, and I could kind of sulk in my situation, or I could choose to make the most of it and have a positive impact on other people, and uh, I think whenever I started to make that a habit that's when my bad days started to become fewer and fewer and fewer until eventually i never had one uh again so mm -hmm. uh definitely was a process though yeah and and kind of talk too because you said you're going into your senior high school and you're a basketball player you love basketball and here you go you have the situation to happen and you're in the hospital for so long you get back to school and you get back to reality and you're not able to play the game that you love anymore and do some of the things that you want to do um, you know, how did you get through that? Like you talk about the push and the pull in your mind on going through like, why me and God, what was that like? As far as like basketball specifically? Yeah. Just having to, to sit on the sidelines and watch and not be able to do that. I, uh, actually haven't thought about this in a long time and it just popped in my head. So I, I had one, we had one basketball game where I, I was really struggling that day and I didn't want to go to the game and I forced myself to go 
and I uh, really struggled during the game. It wasn't going well. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, I wish I could have been out there. You know, I felt like I could have had a, a positive impact on it. And I was, I think I was still in a wheelchair at this point, and I was rolling out of the uh, stadium and uh, there was this man that walked up to me and he was walking with two crutches and he had tears in his eyes and he told me that, you know, he had been hurt in an accident and that uh, I, that he wouldn't be walking if it wasn't for me and that I had inspired him to, to keep on fighting. And I think that's whenever I realized that, you know, I had, I had had a bigger impact that night by being in a wheelchair than I would have ever had, you know, out on the basketball court. So that was, that was kind of a a big realization for me. And I think that's how I got over it is seeing that, you know, yeah, basketball is great, but there's, there's so much more to life than that. And, uh, I think it was, I think that night helped me see that, um, I had a big opportunity, you know, in, in this tragedy. Oh man, that's an awesome, that's an awesome story. I've not heard that one before. (laughs) But I haven't told it in a long time. I'm uh, okay. well, glad we got to hear yeah. it. But how do you have, like, how do you think that you had the maturity and that perspective? I mean, you said faith's important to you. Um, family's always important. But how do you have the perspective to have that maturity? I mean, obviously, my my family was huge. Um, they they didn't have bad days. You know, they had every right to have bad days, but they never had bad days. Mm. And they were they were just a rock for me throughout the whole thing. And I think they they believed in me whenever at times whenever I didn't even believe in myself. Mm. And I think they were a huge example for me to see that uh you know, it really was my choice what I was gonna make of this. And so I think that was part of it. And I think the other part is uh in a sense, I don't think I have much of a choice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like, what do I do? Do I just keep yeah. waking up and feeling sorry for myself? Or yeah. Yeah. am I going to do something about it? You know, so. Yeah. Uh, and I think I, I somewhat learned that in the hospital also. I mean, you kind of realize how, how strong you are and your the willpower and the your ability to choose your response to anything whenever you really don't have much of a choice and mm-hmm. you're just laying in this hospital bed fighting this pain and uh i think that's something that i kind of took with me through my recovery that year yeah would you say that you're a naturally positive person or negative that's a good question for <laughs> yeah then we can ask uh, i don't know i would say i'd probably lean more towards negative in a sense mm-hmm. because i I think I struggle with, I always have like struggled with perfectionism and I'm hard on myself and I expect a lot out of myself. And when things don't go the way that I want them to go, I blame myself. And that's what I did after the accident too. You know, it's, I, uh, I I blame myself a lot Hmm. and I, well, I mean, why do you feel like there was blame for yourself or because I didn't want to give up that sense of control. That's really what it is, because I think whenever you, I think whenever you get to the point where you finally stop blaming yourself, 
I think you have to release some sense of control and realize that uh, you don't have the control you once thought you you had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was that was a hard lesson for me. And it's it's still a hard lesson for me. Like to this day, it's still a hard lesson for me. Yeah. And I uh, I forget that a lot. And my my pastor after the accident, I, I never really saw a like a counselor or anything because the only person that I wanted to talk to was uh, my pastor Dan, and he would come out weekly. And I still had um, he he came out one day and. I still had to get my prosthetic. Like we were still like, none of that was figured out yet. Mm -hmm. And I also still had to get my colostomy reversed. So I had a colostomy bag, which was awful. So that's like a whole nother story. (laughs) So we weren't sure if that was going to get reversed. We weren't sure about my prosthetic and pastor Dan came over and he, uh, you know, he asked me, you know, what I was worried about or concerned about. And I told him, you know, this colostomy because I, I don't know what's going to happen. It's completely out of my control. Mm. And he was like, well, what about your prosthetic? And I was like, well, I'm not, not worried about that. Like that's something I can control. Like I can work hard. I can be stubborn. I can make sure that I do the things what you're gonna- to do. Exactly. <laughs> like I can make sure that we do everything possible to get me on two legs and walking again. Mm-hmm. And he like laughed, he laughed at me and he was like, can't you see you haven't been in control of any of this? Yeah. And, uh, I think at the time that just went in one ear and right out the other. And I don't think it was something that I appreciated until way later, because now, you know, from all of those days that he came and visited with me, that's the one thing that kind of always stuck with me was that, uh, I'm not actually in control of, of a lot of the things that I think that I am in control of. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, you know, whenever you started, uh, senior year um let's just let's just fast forward to oklahoma state so trying to figure out college um how did you get to oklahoma state and why did you go to oklahoma state so grow like growing up my my walls were orange mm-hmm. like uh, there was never really another option i never considered going anywhere else you yeah. know uh so i actually applied to osu while i was laying in the hospital bed like i typed you know my application oh, really? on, on a laptop while i was still in yeah. the hospital yeah yeah uh, so i got my acceptance letter i think while i was still in the hospital so there really was, you know, never a plan for, like, I always plan on going to OSU. And uh, that first year, I like always, like I basically said that I was like a full-time student, part-time patient, because I would spend so much time down here in Oklahoma City trying to get fit uh, with my prosthetic at Scott Savage. And uh, that first, that first year was, I mean, it was, it was interesting because I was kind of going through all the same things that anybody does when they go to college, you know, being yeah. away from family for the first time, you know, being in a fraternity, meeting new people. Uh, but I think I was also still figuring out how to uh, be myself, even even with one leg and how to uh, meet new people. You know, obviously, everybody's curious and everybody wants to know. And, you know, people are awkward and I'm awkward and the whole thing's awkward. Yeah. So, so it was definitely... Uh, it was a strange year, but I think it was uh, it was a big year for sure um, mm-hmm. in terms of both getting fit with my prosthetic, but also just kind of transitioning to a a new normal. And I think it was good being able to uh, kind of shortly after all of this be able to go on and you know start something completely new, start fresh, and kind of really figure out what my life was going to look like from mm-hmm. that point on. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, 
how did you get to, we met in college, met at Farmhouse. Um, how did you get in that fraternity? Why'd you pick that fraternity? Why'd you get in a fraternity? I didn't want to do any of it. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to be in a fraternity. I didn't want to be in farmhouse. Yeah. They just like like they just kept bugging me. It's like Tyler Moore just like kept calling me and eventually <laughs> I was just like, Okay, I guess I'll do it. You know, the house uh-huh. the, new, the new house was like, This is nice, like uh-huh. this isn't a bad deal. So uh I went to signing day, I was the only one that didn't sign. I don't know if you were at signing day or not. I was, yeah. Okay, yeah. So no, I, I, I went. I just went yeah. to like hang out and see what all like what all the other guys were like. So uh-huh. uh yeah, so I wasn't planning on it. And that's where you met me, and that's why you signed. So. Exactly. That's that's what did it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that was one of those things that I said I would never do. And that's that's kind of how things, that's how my life seems to go, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, it turned out to be a great thing. and got a lot of good friends. All of my best friends, you know, are from Farmhouse. So it turned out to be a great experience. Mm-hmm. How did you decide on uh, pre-med and, and business all in the same thing? Because you studied pre-med yeah, and yeah. business in college. So, so I, so Colin was actually probably part of that reason. He's mm-hmm. uh, uh, one of our friends at Farmhouse, and he at the time was pre-med and was entrepreneurship. And uh, I just kind of kept hearing from more and more physicians that they wished that they had business knowledge and didn't just know science. So that was kind of part of the reason why I switched. Also because it's like I'm. I'm really not a sciencey guy. Like I was like a biochemistry major in my yeah. freshman year. I was like, this isn't for me. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of why I made the switch to business. And I still definitely have an interest there and mm-hmm. would like to have a role at that intersection of business and medicine at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then studying that graduated from Oklahoma state 2016, 16. Yeah. And then you wound up deciding to go to med school. And how did you get to uh, OU? And how did it all work out? Uh, so I applied to several places. Uh, OU was the only place that I got into. And obviously with it being in state, you know, yeah. tuition so much cheaper. And uh, I, yeah, I just kind of dived in. And um, it was it was definitely different. So I was, you know, going from, being surrounded by you know 60 70, or like it's by what like 100 guys in the house to like yeah. living alone and just studying yeah. in my office so it was yeah. definitely a change but uh it was kind of like i said it was always part of my plan and it was neat being able to be at ou and kind of you know especially third and fourth year and be able to walk the halls and uh you know all of my days in the hospital as a patient like it's still fresh you know mm-hmm. and uh it was it was kind of neat to how everything kind of came full circle. Yeah. And that's one of the things I want to talk about too, because, um, I happened to be at the white coat ceremony. Oh yeah. Yeah. uh, Your first year of med school. And I mean, I think I got, (laughs) I got overwhelmed and I'm sitting there because I knew kind of the backstory is what was happening. But at the white coat ceremony, you have a doctor that comes and puts a white coat on you to kind of, uh, I guess, is it, it's not initiate, but, to kind of yeah it's like a cloaking yeah. yeah cloaking type deal so one of the things that was really cool is um as all these people are getting cloaked there's a doctor or someone that's putting it on well you just had a, you had a, a pretty amazing story as to who was doing that to you um and i i just think it's a really cool story so yeah, yeah. just kind of touch on that uh so i was pretty fortunate that the physician that gave me my white coat was my orthopedic surgeon dr Erdl, and uh, yeah, I, I wasn't really expecting it to be as emotional as what it was, but, uh, 
I mean, just to be able to, you know, just the simple act of walking to him to get my white coat and yeah. like knowing that I'm able to, sim- I'm able to walk because like, because of you and because of, you know, your work. And, mm-hmm. uh, it was, um, I was just very grateful. And I think that's one of the things that I've realized kind of in a sense, being on a little bit of both sides of, of medicine is that I, I don't think that it's possible for anybody to like understand how appreciative or how grateful I am to, uh, you know, the people like Dr. Ertl that have given me the opportunity to not only live, but live my life the way that I always wanted to live it. Uh, so that's, that's something that I always try to remember is that, you know, to, to people in medicine, it's just another day, you know, it's just another surgery. It's just another Monday or another Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, but for me and what Dr. Riddle and so many other people did like that's, it was everything, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, so just all of those memories of, uh, you know, him in the hospital and telling me that, you know, things probably aren't going to work out the way that we want them to work out. And just to remember all of those days and all of those struggles and being told that I'd never walk again. And to know that, uh, because of him and the fact that he, you know, he never gives up and he's persistent and always thinking outside the box that I was able to walk up there and get my white coat, you know, it's, yeah. it was, it was a lot for sure. Oh yeah. And it was, it was amazing, um, to see that. Um, anyway, so going now to being in med school, now you're in med school, um, what is that like? Like, what are you having to go through on a daily basis? Are you sitting there thinking, man, this is what I wanted to always do? Or you're like, Hey, what am I doing here? Like, do I need to pivot into something else? Or is this, yeah. this really what I want to be doing? I think, I think probably everybody that's in medical school are like, why the hell did I do this? <laughs> like, I don't think there's anybody that's like, there's nobody that doesn't have any doubts Yeah. or they're liars. Like there's just no way, you yeah. know? So it's like, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think medicine isn't, I think probably for most people, it's not exactly what they expected. Uh, you know, people tell you, especially, you know, nowadays, like you'll have a lot of physicians that'll tell kids that not to go to medical school to do something else that, mm-hmm. you know, things have changed since, uh, they were in school. And I, uh, I think there's definitely a reason for that, but it's one of those things where it's like, you people can tell you not to do it and people can tell you how hard it is and how time consuming it is and all the bad things about it all they want. But until you actually get there and experience it, it's, it's kind of a little bit different, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's, it's tough just because it's like, you know, school is tough. The tests are tough. Financially it's tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you get there, you know, patients are tough. You know, yeah. I think everybody thinks, you know, it's like a very rewarding things, but it's like a lot of times like you're tired, you're hungry, you're worn out and mm-hmm. then you got to deal with difficult people. It's like, that's yeah. like, that's tough sometimes. Yeah. Like, that's just like the, the hard truth of it. And, uh, so yeah, I, I think everybody has a point where they're just like, why did I ever do this? There's a lot, there's a lot of easier ways to make money. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, it's just like what I was talking about just a second ago. I know, I know what my surgeons meant to me. I know what my surgeons meant to my family and to be able to learn to do the same thing. It's like, that's pretty neat. Oh yeah. Um, so it's, I think it's the thing that's, it's definitely kept me in it. And I think that's what got me interested in being a surgeon in the start. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of fueled it from, 
you know, me being a patient as well. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of bad, bad aspects of it, but at the same time, I think there's, there's a reasons why people stay in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, you know, you get to hear a little bit about your story and where you're at now and being in med school, almost being out of med school now about to go into residency. Um, you know, the common themes that I see, one of them is, is perseverance and grit, right? And how, how important would you say that is and just your life as you've seen it, but also in anyone's life and how that works and why it's important. Uh, I think specifically in, in my, in my life, I wouldn't, I wouldn't still be, I wouldn't be starting a surgery residency in July if I, if it wasn't for that, just because, you know, it's surgery is hard when you have two legs, you know, it's like, I haven't found anybody that's done it on one leg yet. So, uh, I've had a lot of people that have told me that I should, you know, do a lifestyle job. Like I should just could do it, do a specialty where I can work, you know, do shift work and mm-hmm. that it's too hard and that I won't want to do it forever and <clears throat> that I'm making a mistake and, you know, how long can you stand on your prosthetic? So there's definitely those people that have doubted me and there's been a time or two where I've, you know, I've asked myself those questions too, like how, you know, I've had those tough days where it's just nonstop and, you know, I'm not even a resident yet. And I wonder how, how am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. Like, how am I going to do this for, you know, not only five years residency, but you know, if I want to do this for a long time, how am I physically going to do this? Yeah. Yeah. And I think perseverance is what has allowed me to kind of, I guess, take those doubters on in a sense and even yeah. take away the doubts of myself and, uh, other things that have been huge is Emily, you know, it's like she, anytime that I've had a bad day or doubt of whether or not I could do this, she's always, uh, continue to push me and has ensured me that, you know, we're going to do everything possible to find a way to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And not only her, but there's a ton of people, there's several other surgeons that, uh, know me and know what we've overcome and they 100% believe that. I can do this mm-hmm. and that we can make this happen. And, yeah. uh, that's, that's been reassuring to me, you know, it's, there's, you know, there's a pretty big list of people like that, that, uh, believe in me and has kind of spoken out on my behalf because, you know, in a sense, I definitely, I definitely am a risk, you know, <laughs> like I'm, I'm a risk, you know? So there's like, like I said, I haven't been able to find anybody, any other one legged surgeons. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that it's kind of a long winded answer. No, no, but it's good. But I think it speaks for itself on grit. Like there may not be any other one legged surgeons, but, um, that doesn't mean there can't be. And that's like, you're defying those odds. Right. Yeah. So I think that's something that's really important to talk about too, is, um, you know, self doubt plays a factor in everyone's mind, right? Whether it's in life, and situations and, and school situations and social situations and athletic situations. Um, and you talked about having people around you that really built you up whenever you had that self doubt yeah. come around you. Um, but I think it's important to understand like, like what are the things that drive you and why, but also how do you overcome that self doubt and, and gain confidence in yourself to keep pushing forward each day and to be able to have, grit and perseverance to continue and continue and continue besides having those people around you. Cause that's a huge, huge factor, but mentally 
how do you how do you do that? You know, how does confidence be instilled in you? Or not, maybe not even confidence, but how do you have that mentality that every day, no matter what, if I have those thoughts, like I'm going to push through that? Uh, I think for me, that's where my faith comes in. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just, just being able to look back and seeing what, what God's brought me through and seeing the, the odds that have been beat really, I mean, yeah, I've kind of kept positive attitudes at times, but so much has happened that's allowed me to be able to be in the position that I'm in that's, like I was saying, is, is outside of my control. So yeah. I think trusting and believing that uh, God's brought me this far and he has a plan for me and he has a plan for me to to prosper. He's not done with me yet. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's what, what gives me the, the confidence to push those doubts aside and know that... Um, Fortunately, my strength's not only coming from myself. Yeah. Yeah. What would be, if you had a word of encouragement for people that have any doubts, what would you encourage them to, to be doing? Um, whether it be having good people around them, having a strong faith, whatever that looks like, what would you encourage them to be doing? Um, Putting you on the spot. Yeah, you are. I mean, I think that it's something I've been, you know, actively doing recently just because, you know, as you know, we're moving to Florida and uh, it's a big change and there's a lot of unknowns and you don't know how things are going to work. And, you know, it's like I don't know the, the setup of where I'm going to be at and how I'm going to do the things that I need to do. Uh, so I think for me, when all of those doubts come, I just have to what I've been trying to do is just pray and just release that, that sense of uh, responsibility and just trust that God has this under control. And, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, that's, that's a daily struggle for me. I, I think that's something that I've realized really in these, in these last few weeks, you know, ever since, uh, you know, we've started packing, we're getting ready to move. And then you throw on like the coronavirus on top of all of this. And it's yeah. like, there's just so much is unknown and so much feels like it's out of, outside of your control mm-hmm. that, um, I know what I have to do. Yeah. It's the same stuff that I, I did to get over this amputation. Like yeah. I have to make the choice as to how I'm going to respond to these situations. Mm-hmm. I have to trust God. Yeah. And that's, that's about it. But yeah, still, I don't do that. Yeah. I, I don't do that. So it's like, you know, you're, you're like asking me about like how I over, overcome all this stuff. But even I, like, I forget this every single day. Like I have to be reminded of this every single day. So mm-hmm. like these last few weeks, I've, I've kind of discovered that, you know, either I'm moving forward or I'm like, I'm either moving forward or in my faith or I'm moving backwards. Like for me, there doesn't seem to be like this there's, it, there's no coasting, you know, yeah. it's like, I'm either moving forwards or backwards. And I think for a long time, you know, especially these last few years, you know, when things are, when, when there's really not a lot of change in your life, I think it's pretty easy to become stagnant. Mm-hmm. And I think in these, these last few weeks, you know, with all the changes and us moving and then you throw, like I said, throw on the coronavirus on top of it. Yeah. I've had to realize that, uh, I've kind of lost sight of a lot of those lessons that mm-hmm. I learned fo- following my amputation. So, yeah. 
No, that's so good. I mean, I think those those two points you just talked about are so important. Just to, a lot of us know what we need to do, but doing it every day consistently, yeah, consistently is what's the biggest challenge. Like it, same for me too, right? Um, but one of the things that I've seen that you're a, a prime example of it, but there's a great word or quote that it's talked about consistency compounds. I've heard from John Maxwell. And so when you look at your life, like you made these decisions, you chose to make the most of whatever situation that you have. Um, and every single day I've been able, knowing you being a roommate with you in college, like I've been able to watch you make consistent decisions and consistent actions every single day that allow you to get to where you want to be. Right. It doesn't, I mean, it's tough. I mean, it's amazingly challenging. I can't even imagine what it's like to, to go through what you've gone through, right? And to be able to have people doubt that you can walk again. And here, we go on a trip to Australia and you're walking around everywhere, you know? Or we go on a ski trip and you're <laughs> skiing down the mountain. I mean, a, a lot of times early on, I think it's just like, oh, well, it's Andrew's my good friend, you know? But when you look back at that and you think about it, you're like, I am so, so fortunate to be around a guy like yourself to learn, like you are living the, the principle that, that we need to, to be able to be consistent to, um, think about our environment and to move forward and in the right direction and, um, to have faith and to trust every single day and to have confidence in yourself to overcome your self doubt. Um, it's just such an, it's an encouragement to me. And I don't think I fully appreciate that until I look back you know, because we're in every day, but, um, like just, just skiing, like you never skied before when you didn't have a leg and we're sitting here and you're, you have grand determination to learn how to ski. Like that's amazing. I mean, that in itself is amazing. Walking around Australia is amazing. But what I've seen too, is that when I was getting into coaching, you go around and look at these great programs that are you know, winning national championships or they're really at the pinnacle of, of whatever profession that they're in, especially basketball, you realize that it's not anything, it's not anything, um, drastically different. It's just, these people are focused on making consistent action every single day to get better, to make the most of their environment, um, and to help people around them. And so I just think that when you think of those principles as a whole, um, like you're living that. And I think you also, you have clarity, you have clarity on what you want and why you want it and where you're going and, and how you're going to accomplish it. And every single day, your actions are consistent with that, whether you realize it or not. But, um, yeah, I just think it's such an encouragement to me. Um, so I, anyway, yeah, um, kind of bu building off of that. I think the only, thing that I've noticed that I've had to watch out for is whenever you are consistent like that, I, I've been very prone to lose sight as to why I was doing any of it in the first place. Mm. So it's kind of like, I, I almost get caught up with what I'm doing or how I'm doing it and losing sight of why I'm doing it. Yeah. And that's, that's something that, you know, I've kind of been, um, thinking about a lot recently, you know, now that I've had, you know, a lot more time on my hands and I've, I've kind of seen that <clears throat> I, a lot of the things that I was doing, I don't think I was really having very much fun doing. Mm. And I think it almost felt like more of a chore and I just kind of 
asking myself, even last night I was, I was talking to Emily about this and I, I just kind of found that I, for quite a while, I kind of lost why I was doing what I was doing. I got, became so like entrenched and obsessed with, you know, consistency, going through the motions, yeah. doing, doing yeah. these things, you know, studying, reading, writing, that it became, it became a chore, you know, and I, I think that's how people get burned out. And, uh, I think I'm very prone to that. So I, I think that's one thing that I've just learned. I have to be very, uh, cognizant of mm-hmm. is that I have to make sure I, I'm always remembering why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And then also with that consistency, um, you know, how do you, how do you, you're a big goal setter. Like I know that too, but how do you add things in your routine or your lifestyle that kind of push you outside of that consistency and that comfort zone to kind of expand and grow? Like you're talking about earlier in your faith, either going forward or you're going backward. How do you do that in your life? Uh, I think Emily is a big, a big, uh, (laughs) component of that uh-huh. uh just because i don't like change yeah like i 100 percent don't like change yeah whereas you know she, she does and she kind of sees the area where mm-hmm. uh i need i need pushed a little bit mm-hmm. and i i think change is good you know i i think that uh you know just just this move i've and realizing that you know, I only have a few more weeks left in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what do I want that to look like? Yeah. And, you know, I kind of realized that I want these next few weeks to look a lot different than the way I was actually living my life the weeks prior to that. It's mm-hmm. like, that's a problem. That's a good you, point. You know, so it's like, I think whenever you see that you only have a short time mm-hmm. somewhere or with someone or, you know, someplace yeah. that you tend to live it differently yeah. than how you were living it. And really at the end of the day, that's all we have anywhere with anybody is a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Why, why is that? Why do you think that is? Cause I, I mean, I think of those same things myself too. I mean, I hope that I'm not doing that, but I want to try to maximize my time and enjoy it to the, to the best of the, my ability. Right? Yeah. I think kind of going off of, I don't know if you've ever read it, but the seven habits are highly effective people. Mm-hmm. So like habit two is begin with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. So like in, in that book, he kind of talks, he, he wants you to like envision your funeral. Mm-hmm. Like what do you want your coworkers to say about you? What do you want your family to say about you? What do you want, uh, you know, some church or organization that you're involved with to say about you? And then the question is, is like, are you, like, are you living your life that way? Like, are those your priorities? Like, the things you do every single day, do the, are those working towards the life mm-hmm. that you ultimately want to have yeah. at the end of the day, mm-hmm. at the end of your life? And uh, I think it's very easy to lose sight of that. You yeah. just get caught up in the urgency of mm-hmm. everyday life. You get caught up in, you know, the routines. And uh, that's definitely what happened to me mm-hmm. here in Oklahoma, I felt like you know, all of a sudden I have to leave and I realize like, Oh, I want these next few weeks to look a lot different than the way that I've been living. I wish I would have got to know people better. I wish Mm -hmm. I would have been more involved in my church. I wish I would have, uh, spent more time with my friends, spent more time with my family. And that was, that was kind of, uh, a, like a important awakening for me. I feel like, because, you know, the scary thing was, is, if I would have stayed here, what would that have looked like for the next five years? You know, mm-hmm. what if I just yeah. kept on doing the same thing and kind of woke up five years later and been like, I wasn't living my life the way that I wanted to. So, mm-hmm. 
Uh, I think change is good for in that sense. It kind of makes you stop and think about mm-hmm. how how you want things to look differently in the future. Yeah. So I know you're a uh, constant learner, reader, listen to podcasts. What are some books, or what are your top? If you had, if you had, I don't know, maybe top five books. If you pick five, oh, my top maybe, five books. Maybe the top books that you can just think of off the top of your head. Okay, so maybe. Probably, which I would say the most, I think the book, the book that's kind of like the most applicable or changed my life the most probably is the seven habits. And I know it's like, you know, very popular and uh-huh. it's, uh, you know, kind of like the, the paradigm of probably self-help books. But uh-huh. I really do feel like that book is, you know, based on universal principles. And I've seen that in the areas where <clears throat> I, you know, make missteps whether it be in relationships or school or anything else uh i can usually trace back my mistake and it could have been avoided based off of you know the principles in that book so Mm -hmm. that's a huge one for me that's one book that i recommend to a lot of people Uh, another one another book that's had a huge impact on my life is reasonable faith by william lane craig Uh, he is a christian philosopher christian apologist and he, uh, I would say he's probably the greatest defender of Christianity alive today. Uh, he, you know, he debates these well-known atheists, kind of like the like Christopher Hitchens and uh, Sam Harris, and he, and I mean, in my opinion, probably most you watch his debates, and it's like he has these arguments for Christianity, and he he has this defense for Christianity that is so strong, and I I found that a lot of people don't even know about any of these arguments. And I think that's somewhere, you know, the church as a whole, I feel like that's, that's an area where, uh, we could do better is prepare, you know, especially young people, you know, you have these young kids that grow up in church and then they go off to college. And the first time they run across a atheist Mm -hmm. professor, their whole world is kind of flipped upside down. They really don't know how to defend that. So reasonable faith is like a very, um, I feel like it's a good, like intermediate book to start with like Christian apologetics yeah. and um, learning how to defend your faith and knowing why you believe what you believe. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so that's, that's been a big one that's influenced me. Another one that I'm actually reading now is warranted Christian belief by Alvin Plantinga. He's a Christian philosopher. Uh, that's retired now, but he was at Notre Dame and he uh, I'm like, Working, through, it's a very dense book. It's actually like a trilogy of books. Okay. So, so basically, um, I came across him on a podcast, and I listened to the podcast, and it changed my life. Like completely changed my life and how I saw my faith. And the essentially his um, this trilogy that he's working on is basically he says there's de facto arguments against Christianity or God. And then there's de jure, which de facto is like basically saying the problem of evil. The fact that evil exists is proof that God doesn't exist. So that's like a de facto argument against God. A de jure argument is basically like Christianity may be true, but it's irrational. It's unjustified. It's unwarranted. Mm -hmm. And his whole book is basically focused on the de jure question and Mm -hmm. saying... Arguments alone, everything else aside, Christianity is justified, it's reasonable, and it's warranted. 
And warrant actually, what warrant actually means is it constitutes, it actually, it doesn't just mean true belief, it actually constitutes knowledge. So his whole argument is that uh, we can actually know that Christianity is true. Uh, he kind of turns everything upside on, on his head. He basically says we can know this through our cognitive faculties. We can know this through the Holy Spirit. So if Christianity is true, it's warranted. Mm. It's not irrational. Mm. Uh, so that was huge for me because for many years I... I was kind of learning a lot about these arguments for the existence of God. I was so focused on reason that I think I, I lost touch with, uh, I would say more of the spiritual side of Christianity, more of the belief and the understanding that I can know Christianity is true through the Holy spirit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I knew the morning of my accident. Yeah. That's how I knew that, God was real. Mm. And uh, whenever I heard his podcast, it like totally, I realized the piece of the puzzle I was missing all along. Uh, so it's, I mean, I think it's probably one of the like most uh, important Christian books that have like probably been written this, this century. It's, it's obviously mm. a very interesting topic. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around. Yeah. And I struggled reading it. And I honestly probably did a terrible job explaining it right there. <laughs> But uh, that's probably the third book. I've, I've rambled pretty long about those three. I don't know. I can no. probably come up with some more. Yeah, we can probably, <laughs> probably that, yeah. yeah. But we can, yeah, we can take those for sure. What about what are you listening to? What podcast are you listening to? What uh, videos or whatever? What are you listening to right now? Um, I, I mean, we've talked about this before. I I love Malcolm Gladwell. Mm-hmm. I could like listen to him tell stories forever. And he's got a podcast, but yeah, a, a revisionist yeah. history. Okay. So uh, that's the one podcast that Emily and I both like. Both so, like. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing we'll both listen to. Uh, so I listen to that a lot. And then I listen to, uh, 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 William Lane Craig has two podcasts that I like listening to. One of them's called defenders. It's like actually his like Sunday school class. Uh, that he teaches over apologetics and mm-hmm. kind of some of the stuff that I've mentioned. So I think one thing I would say kind of on the note of everything that I said so far, I think that uh, for me, I think this is a bit like a big misperception that I think a lot of people have is that, you know, reason takes us so far and it'll only take us so far. And then that's where faith comes into play. And we just kind of have to take this blind leap of faith Mm-hmm. and I don't really think that's the case I think that um, I think faith is belief in the things we have good reasons to believe in mm. I don't think it's just a blind leap in the dark Yeah, uh, I see reason and faith as very much um, not only compa- uh, uh, compatible but also just working with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess that's the one thing I would say about faith. I don't know what your question was going to be, but yeah, no, that's, that's great. That's perfect. That that's a great explanation or just thought. Um, so you've been married for over a year or almost yeah. a year, almost a year. Right? Every, I'm going to get in trouble for yeah, that. Yeah, I did. But, uh, how has that bettered you as a person? How has Emily bettered you as a person oh, and yeah. being married in about every way imaginable? Yeah. 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 It's like, I pick up my clothes off the floor now. I uh-huh. do the dishes as soon as they're dirty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, uh, seriously, um, 
she's she's very different than me in a lot of ways, and I think in a lot of in a lot of my uh, we a lot of my weaknesses are her strengths, and I I can get very caught up in the things that I'm doing, and I uh, can have this sense of urgency that almost like leads to anxiety, and this sense that I have to constantly be working and constantly mm-hmm. be doing something and. Uh, she's not like that at all. She's, you know, a lot more relaxed than I am. Mm -hmm. Um, she's a lot more focused on other people than I am. Uh, I can get selfish at times and I think she's, she's, uh, quick to point that out to me whenever I'm, I think I'm, you know, off track or whenever Mm -hmm. I'm kind of straying off the the path that I need to be on. She's quick to kind of drag me back on and She's very, um, she is consistent. She is intentional. Like she knows the things that she, that is most important to her. And that's what she does. Like yeah. she, she spends time with people. She has an, you know, a huge impact on, on people. She loves people. Well, like mm-hmm. she loves everybody. Well, yeah. like I don't love everybody. Well, <laughs> like I, I have road rage. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, she's been a huge example for me. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's honestly probably the, the the best person I know for sure, and I, I knew that like well before I ever even Valley. like asked her on a date. Like yeah. like I like I knew that. So, um, yeah, I mean it's been a, it's been a great year, and it's been a, a year of uh, of growth, and has definitely been you know probably the biggest biggest blessing in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that a lot of uh, a lot of who I am today is, uh, you know, thanks to her. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, one thing, there's so many things I'd like to be able to touch on, but we only have so much time. Um, one of the things too, when we talk about health, um, and wellness, it's something that's talked about frequently right now, but, um, I remember, you know, you tell me your story, but the thing that I think is really cool too, is when you had that situation occur, you basically decided like, Hey, I'm going to take control of my health and my wellness. And so, I mean, you're always in the gym and college, you're still in the gym. It's um, questionable at times. Yeah, it is. It's looking a little, <laughs> muscles a little small. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, what did that look like? Because that's, I think that's, what's pretty cool too, is you, you're in the gym or you're in, in the hospital. And, uh, I remember you told me how, how many, how many you weighed, how, how much did you weigh in the hospital? Oh, like, like, 97 pounds. Yeah. 97 pounds, 97 pounds. And then, um, you know, you get out and you start working out and, and, uh, you know, it's amazing. There's a picture. I can't remember what it was. I think it was on something, some, some picture you had is on some publicity deal and it has you on one, like doing a box jump or something or maybe doing some weight too. And we'll put the picture on or we'll figure out a way if you can see that, but it's, it's inspiring. Like it's truly inspiring. And how did how did health become significant in your life and wellness and lifting and just keeping keeping in shape and control your body and eating too? Like I don't even want to get into everything, <laughs> but but your discipline and eating, like I mean, we're in college, chicken and rice, chicken and rice. Yeah. You know, you'd be putting chicken and rice in the microwave. I come in and smell like chicken and rice. <laughs> like that would be something because you were very disciplined yeah. to, to stay in shape and to be healthy. So talk a little bit about that real quick, if you if you wouldn't mind. Uh, it, at first, it was a, it was just an outlet. Mm-hmm. I like I said, I couldn't play basketball, I couldn't run, so working out kind of became my thing. 
and I realized it was something that I could, I could, I could still do. I could still do just like other people, you know, mm -hmm. some things, you know, obviously I can't do lunges, but it's like, you know, for the most part, there's really not anything else that I can't do. Yeah. So it was, and that's important too. think about that. What you just said, really, there's nothing that you really can't do. Yeah. So like, I think that's something important. We'll talk about in a little bit, but yeah. Um, sorry, go ahead. So it's at first was, I think it, it, it helped me get my confidence back. And because initially there was days like I would pull up to the gym and if there was too many cars there, like I was too embarrassed to actually go inside because mm. I'm like this scrawny, you know, little one legged white boy. Like, <laughs> so it's like, I, like I, I was embarrassed, like, like I really was. And then, you know, eventually got to the point where it was like, I was probably showing off. Like I was a little too cocky, like yeah. jumping around the boxes, doing jump ropes. So yeah. it, it was an outlet. It was like a, a healing mechanism initially. Um, and you know, during med school, I definitely didn't keep up with it. Like I did in, in college or even, you know, that senior year of high school. Uh, but now, you know, it's, it's, uh, I know it's, it's my livelihood in a sense, you know, it's like, mm. if I want to, if I want to be a surgeon, it's like, I, I gotta be in shape. Mm. Like I, I just have to. Yeah. And so that's, um, it's a huge priority for me. And, um, it's something that Emily and I both know that I can't, uh, I can't get lax on, especially in the next five years. You know, a lot of people during residency that, you know, their health and fitness and, eating and everything else kind of goes on the back burner because you're working so much because right? you're working so much yeah. yeah so that's something that i have to i have to make a priority mm. or else um it's going to negatively affect me yeah because i'm it's just you know it's just so hard the hours are so long the you know to be on your to be on you know one leg and on my prosthetic that long and in the operating room it's just it's uh it's gonna be crucial for me mm -hmm. no i think that's such a great point because um, even when you go back talking about um, first getting out of uh, the hospital and being a scrawny little white guy and you drive up to the gym and you sometimes wouldn't go in. Um, the fact that you continually came back and kept going and kept going into the gym and you talked about that building your confidence, even when you didn't want to do it. So a lot of the time, the things that we don't want to do are often things we have to do to get to the point where we want to go. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's such a great example of you actually doing that as well. I mean, there's so many things in your story that um, should be so encouraging other people because there's so many people that are facing their own situations and circumstances. But here I've got to watch you just totally flip the switch and say, hey, when most people might think that this is a, a problem and it, it could really bring people down and they could never recover, you basically use everything Um to better not only yourself, but better other people. Like you go around and speak and you talk about um, these types of principles that we've just learned through your story. And, you know, like one time I got to go with you and, and you spoke um, and it was just really cool to see how many people, like I mean, people in the, in, the, in the stands are just, you know, crying and coming up to you afterwards and saying how you changed their life and, and from their perspective and being able to to challenge themselves and do things that they didn't think were possible. What would you say to people that are, are dealing with difficult circumstances and they feel like I can't do this because I, you know, I'm not smart enough. I can't do this because I don't have 
the right connections. I can't do this because this, this, and this. I can't get in shape because I'm too much overweight, or I can't get whatever those things are. You just talked about how um, those moments where you said, I can't do it, you just kept going, and you did it. There's nothing you can't do, right? You just talked about that. What would you say to people who feel like they, they can't do something? I'd say that's just a choice that they made. Like it's just simply a choice. Yeah. Like they chose to believe that they couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And then just like, and on that note, they can choose exact opposite of that. And yeah. I, that's what I, uh, that's what I re realized early on is, you know, that was kind of the last, uh, um, I think that's like the last human freedom is being able to, to choose our response to any situation. And, yeah, um, I think oftentimes those those uh, those beliefs and those doubts often come from other places. You know, yeah, whether they come yeah. from the people around you or your family or your upbringing. Like, there's some sort of paradigm that is telling you those things, mm -hmm. and you have the ability to choose to shift that and make yeah. it be something else. Yeah, and and think about this. I heard this not too long ago, and I thought this was a great point, but you know our self-doubt, our negative thoughts, they don't come from us. Why would we ever think anything negative? Like, because we don't want to think negative, right? But there's something else out there that's making us think that way. Yeah. Um, and we have to choose, hey, I'm not going to think that way. I'm going to change my surroundings, my environment, no matter where I'm at, no matter what environment I'm in. Um, all those things do play a critical role, but we have the choice, just like you talked about. Um, and so I just wanted people to hear what you had to say about that. Um, a couple of things before we wrap up, we talked about some of the books you're reading, some of the podcasts you're listening to things that are helping you grow. Um, this podcast is all about building excellence in your life. And you're a prime example of someone who has continuously been building excellence in their life. Um, what would you say, what does building excellence mean to you? I think it's what we were talking about earlier in regards to what do you want your life to look like at the, like at the end of the, at, at the end of your life, what do you want people to say about you? What's mm -hmm. the legacy you want to leave to leave? And I, you know, I, I think that's excellence and I think it's so easy to lose, lose sight of that and to make it be whatever the world wants excellence to be like mm -hmm. I run into that all the time, you know, with med yeah. school, it's like excellence is this score on this test. Mm -hmm. It's getting into this residency, you know, uh, but really what excellence should be is, uh, what I believe the entire purpose of my life is. And I think that that's something everybody should do is sit down and kind of figure out like what's, what's what's the mission statement of your life like what's the purpose of your life mm -hmm. and i think excellence is doing is consistently doing things every day that ultimately lead to that mm. you could give two pieces of advice about how to build excellence in your life what would it be i think one is and i'm i would just be ripping this off of one of the seven habits but i think it's i think it's an important one uh, and it's, it's to put first things first. Um, I think that 
especially nowadays, it's so hard to do that when we're just constantly flooded with mm-hmm. with urgent issues that oftentimes aren't that important. <clears throat> so that would be the first one. And I mean, I think the second one we've definitely hit on a lot, but it's just always realizing that you have the uniquely human ability to choose your response to anything. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. So, well, Tyler, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being here, and thanks for being such an encouragement um, to so many people, obviously, including myself, of what it looks like to, um, you know, choose the outcome of your life and be able to make make the most of what you have and inspire people in the process. Um, There's no one better, I feel like, to come and talk about that than you. Thanks for sure. Um, and I'm just really excited for people to get to hear your story more in detail and hear some things that, you know, maybe we have never talked about to, to come out on the show. And so look forward to having you on again at some point yeah, of course. and seeing how, you know, everything is down in Florida. So, um, just thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. Hey everyone. It's Bailey miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.